Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. This week I sat down with recovery coach Keandra. I really enjoyed this week's conversation and we spoke a lot about how childhood development and your family system can impact the development of eating disorders. We spoke about her own experience and how that led to an eating disorder and then we spoke about her recovery journey and how that's led to her now being a recovery coach. We also speak about how she balances life so that eating disorders don't become the sole focus but that she wants to use her experience to help others. I found this conversation really inspiring and I really hope that you enjoy it too. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I've um so I've got like some family over, so I've sent them to the garden. So they you shouldn't you shouldn't hear anything, um, but I'm just letting you know that, you know, totally they are it, there shouldn't be any background noise. It's totally fine. Amazing. Um, I I had my partner on Monday um, chasing a fly with the cats next door, and okay. and I was like, um, "What were you doing?" He was like, "Oh, we had to get the fly." And I was like, "Yeah, I was recording a podcast." <laughs> so do not worry at all. <laughs> no worries. Well, it's lovely to meet you in person. Obviously, yeah, I you feel too. like I always when I've seen people on social media, I often feel like I know them. Yeah. Which is a weird phenomenon, but there we go. Um, Yeah. So if you want to start by telling the listeners maybe a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your practice, that would be brilliant. I'm Keandra. I am an eating disorder recovery coach um, as my somewhat main profession. I have a couple of jobs, uh, fingers in many pies, as you would say. But yeah, I am an eating disorder recovery coach. I'm trained as a counsellor. I have a nutritional diploma and I also have lived experience. So I suffered with anorexia um, nervosa for just over eight years. Um, so I am now um, 24, nearly 25. So ne- nearly quarter of, a, quarter of a I am. I am 24. Oh my God. Like, I don't want this to sound how it's going to sound. <laughs> You're going to you say that I'm older. <laughs> so mature. Oh my God. I I've, A lot of people have said that. And I think it's not necessarily, I've realised now, it's not the way that I look. It's more... No. The way that I come across. Yeah. And so, you know, and I don't know, you know, a little bit of a tangent. I don't know whether that's because of my lived experience with having an eating Mm -hmm. disorder and the stuff that I've been through potentially, or I'm an only child. So only child, um, I suppose, only child syndrome. I grew up around a lot of adults. So Mm. I've communicated with adults from a very, very young age. So maybe there's a combination, but I take that as a a very flattering no it definitely it's really interesting because like you know not to compare us but if we're going to compare us I'm also an only child and obviously I've also had anorexia and I think that well I I guess maybe that's what happens in recovery is that you do mature um I am very immature 
And I always say that's potentially because I'm an only child because I was like molly coddled and yeah. babied and then didn't need to be mature and look after myself. And then that's where the eating disorder came in for me was like, yeah, you know, I don't know how to be an adult. So I'll stay in this childlike existence. So that's that's really interesting. I find that I find it fascinating the way that it can go. And I think, mm. you know, upbringing, um, my upbringing was very much independent woman from a, from right. day dot, which, you know, I I owed my parents to but maybe actually an impact of my own eating disorder it was like I can do this on my own I don't need anyone else you know so I think you know for both of us only children it would probably be a very interesting even like a conversation or something to explore about the role of you know not having siblings in upbringing and the development of an eating disorder well let's do it that's why yeah, we're, that's I mean, why we're here who it, we yeah. can go on to what we were going to talk about in yeah. a second so what do you so, think yeah. about that I think for me, I had a, my parents are incredible. And actually, like I said, I've got family stuff going on. So they're actually downstairs. My parents are incredible, you know, give them so much credit. But I grew up in quite an unusual way. They were both um, practicing meditators of all things. So oh, wow. very much. Yeah, I grew up in a, a kind of a didn't for my early years, I didn't grow up in a meditation community. But when I was 11, I moved to a full um, meditation community called, um, well, Transcendental Meditation. So think of the Beatles, think of uh, Russell Brand and Katy Perry, they all do Transcendental Meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, But it meant that as a child, there was periods of time when I was left on my own, because they'd be like meditating. um, And by no means would I was um, unsafe or you know isolated in any way but I think because I was an an overweight child um and I think my parents were put under a lot of pressure from the health service you know the NHS were like well she's an overweight child she needs to do something about it and therefore there was it was weird when I was left alone I used food as a coping mechanism for the feelings of loneliness and I, you know, through my understanding, it was food was my crux, but the bullying made it worse rather than the opposite. It was actually like, okay, I feel lonely. I'm getting bullied. So what do I do? I didn't have the emotional intelligence at, well, the ages between like three and 11, where I was like, oh, well, I'm, of course, I'm going to go to things that, you know, the reward center in my brain was like sugary foods, carbohydrates. It's like, this makes me feel good. So I think for me, being an only child exacerbated potential genetic components in my dad, um, history of long, long history of OCD. Um, You know, he always says to me, if you didn't get anorexia, you'd probably have OCD. And, you know, I always think, you know, maybe, maybe that's the case, but I have the brain chemistry that sets me up for an eating disorder plus all of the stuff that, you know, potentially I went through as a child. So my role as as an only child was more about feeling lonely and turning to food in the other way, you know, actually overeating to to fill a void, I think, in my life. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it's, it's definitely something that I have thought about a lot, like in terms of my own experiences and the role that kind of being an only child had on my experience of an eating disorder because the kind of things around you know comparison and perfectionism and things like that as an only child in in my experience I could do no wrong like I was the perfect child and and maybe that is it maybe because I was the only child that 
you know, was unexpected um, and then was the only one that my that my mum and dad had. It's like almost we've we've we're so like proud to have you. We're so like glad that you're in our life and we want to treasure you and protect you and do everything. Um, and by doing that, it was almost like, OK, Hannah, you you are so precious. We don't want anything to harm you. Um, so we're going to protect you. And actually that then led me to be unable to look after myself and build yeah. up that like, oh, my God, everybody's got such high standards because I'm this like God's greatest gift. And therefore mm. I need to meet these high standards. And I think that for me was where the only child sort of aspect played into mm. it. That's um, really interesting. But it's it's interesting what you were saying about kind of, you know, being an overweight child and then that kind of, um, you know, feeding into you over consuming food as kind of like an emotional thing. Because I can imagine as well that when you're an only child, oh, I can't imagine, I, I know, like loneliness is really, really apparent. Mm. Um, so filling that void with food kind of makes sense. And I know this is going to sound a bit weird, but I also have thought about as a, as a, like child with siblings you often have to not fight for food but like you you like oh bloody blah ate the last piece of bread like that's annoying I wanted that mm. um whereas when you're an only child you kind of have, have access to everything that you kind of want I'll I'll give a bit of an argument against that for in yeah, my case absolutely. so just just because it, it makes things slightly slightly more confusing so um to go hand in hand with the kind of meditator upbringing, which again, I always had this existential feeling that I was weird. I didn't fit in the overweight um, thing. My dad um, actually worked in local government. So he was seen as higher than my peers. Everyone knew who my dad was within my social set, but he also knew that they were meditators. They were a bit weird. So that made me a bit weird. So I always had this existential feeling that um, I was the, the odd one out. And to add to that, part of I suppose the culture was um being brought up as a vegetarian so I was brought mm. up pure vegetarian diet very much whole foods um organic etc etc and things that my parents knew that I would snack on were put in high cupboards or away or when I went to school I used to eat my friend's lunch mm. because I you know and it, but looking back you know they were only doing the best by me you know, they weren't doing any anything wrong, but I didn't want homemade bread and weird Asian wing yip cakes that I always remember in my lunchbox. Whereas I went to wing yip the other week and I was like, oh, these are, these mochi look cool. Like, you know, but I wasn't old enough to understand that I didn't have pom bears and mm -hmm. a baby bell in my lunch. Yeah. I'm weird. And kids would be like, oh, what's that? And it just automatically be like, okay, well, I need what I I want what I can't have. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that mentality of I want what I can't have meant I overconsumed even more. So I used to eat people, other people's lunch. I used to, when I had school dinners, I'd be asked for more portions because it was that I knew that I wouldn't get it at home. Yeah. And that I can completely relate to. Um, my mum, bless her soul, has. Fortunately, now she isn't, but she, during my childhood, was always on a diet. And so it was very similar for me in that, like, you know, particular foods were a treat and you could only have them if you'd been good. And I have a distinct memory of um, saying to 
one of I went around a friend's house and they'd got like cake or something for for dessert and I was like oh no um I can't have that because I've already been naughty today and my mum my friend's mum was like what do you mean been naughty and I was like oh I had pudding at lunchtime and like my friend's mum said to my mum like please don't use language like that because I don't want my child thinking that it's naughty for them to have pudding but that was just so normal for me was like Mm -hmm. you know you can only have a certain amount of that food and like you can only have it if you've been good or what have you and yeah it just bred that sort of not being allowed to have it and so when I was going through my teenage years when I had a bit more autonomy I did just lean into those foods you know that's all I wanted and then when you start to become a bit more self-aware as I got a little bit older that's when the anorexia then crept in because it was Mm -hmm. like okay these foods are the one thing that have made me now not like myself like it must Mm -hmm. be these foods that I was told were naughty and I've got to be really good now so they're all gonna go yes it it's is fascinating i think the the role that actually your upbringing you know mm-hmm. obviously they always say that before the ages of 7 is where you develop the majority of your mm-hmm. you know your behaviors and maybe maybe that's the case maybe it's not but it definitely definitely does um contribute to your to your life um in a significant way yeah absolutely Mm. and I suppose on the topic of like your your younger years you mentioned when you were first talking about bullying um Mm. how do you think that that impacted your relationship with food and your body you know the it sounds it sounds really weird because it wasn't necessarily die I was the I was a class clown so I used humor to mask my size and I always remember that I was the only one that didn't have a date to the year six ball. You know, the you always had the 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 dances. I don't know if you had it at school where you'd have, mm-hmm. you know, squash and you'd be dancing to S Club Seven and but everyone would be <laughs> make such a song snacks. and table of snacks and everyone would make such a song and dance about having, you know, the boyfriend, whereas I always didn't. And I was the one that was like, Oh well because you're overweight that's the why none of the boys like you and you know that and it's not that I didn't have friends growing up I actually had a really good solid group of friends um so just a little bit of a side note when I was 11 I moved up to up north so I was brought up down south when I was 11 when I was just before high school I moved up north to the transcendental meditation community and I actually went to a practicing transcendental meditation school so the reason that I moved was number one I didn't get into a grammar school there's a lot of things there with my performance my academic performance from my parents I didn't actually get into a grammar school where I was living in Surrey um, at the time big grammar school area um, and I didn't pass the 11 plus so it was like okay well she's not past the 11 plus well we're going to move move up and part of that was about okay we don't want her to go to the school at uh, the high school around the corner that's non- um, grammar because the bullying would be too much so it was a case of oh we'll move her up north and then the bullying will stop so the bullying for me wasn't that apparent in primary school per se it was very much more I was left out I was called names not even necessarily about my weight per se but just about me which mm-hmm. I tied to my weight um, and I think I blocked a lot of that out when I was a young, before before the ages of 11 when I was 11, I moved up north and actually the bullying got worse, which was ironic considering 
you know, I went from a school, a normal size school, but my class at that point was four people. Um, so this school um, was 90 people in total. Like wow. from, so it was incredibly small. It was obviously unique. Meditation was part of the curriculum. But I went into a school year where the four people in my year all bullied me. And it was a lot worse than I'd ever experienced. And I remember the transition from me moving up. My dad ended up staying down south because he needed to finish a job role. And me and my mum moved up. And we both ate our feelings. I We both spoke about you know we we gained a significant period of weight within the six months that my we transitioned up because we didn't we my mom didn't have her friends I was in this place where I was experiencing bullying and actually then I became a, the, probably the largest that I'd I'd been in my um younger years um and where the concept of normal I had no I I still still don't know what is normal um so when the reason that my eating disorder started is I because the bullying had got so bad and because the school was so small I could request to move up a year in high school so I moved up a year in high school and um, because academically I could I was only missing year seven and a lot of that is sex education and a bit of science thrown in you know you don't really didn't really for me I was like oh it's fine and I did that and I was mixed then with another group of people who are older than me. And I became best friends with these two girls who you know, I'm actually ironically meeting for the first time again this weekend because <laughs> we've got this event. And I, I don't ha see any see ill to them at all, but they were drinking, going out with boys, much more adult behavior. Well, bearing in mind we were only 13, 14, but a lot more adult, a lot more adult behavior. I think the school um, bred a lot of rebels because we were seen as the weird ones, why we did things a lot younger. And I, one of my closest friends she, in this group, she started displaying behaviors of bulimia that I had no idea of. You know, I had no idea of this point. And I think naturally, because I was going out more and coming home later, I was eating less just naturally I started losing weight which again we know the genetic component of weight loss and I had no actual knowledge of nutrition my parents weren't making meals I was and at that point I just was like oh I'm I dove into the world of the, the I don't know if the, you know the tumbler generation and thinspo mm -hmm. was, oh yes that was that, that was, was me too <laughs> yeah and 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 that was a it was like a it was like a new world. And in some respects, in a very messed up way, it was exciting. It was new because mm. I started losing weight. People started liking me more. Boys liked me. I was seen as the attractive one. And it was like a vicious cycle. And the positive reinforcement made me feel for the first time in my life that I'd fit in. Mm. And it was then spiraled out of control over between the ages of well, my my worst years were between 14 and 16 was when, you know, it took hold of took hold of me. So, yeah, that's a very long winded way of getting there. But it felt quite natural to say that say it that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's very interesting listening to you how similar our experiences were, mm. um, because I was, you know, pretty much exactly the same in that I was overweight. And then, you know, was just hanging out with more people and then started to lose weight and confidence gained and, you know, 
attention gained uh and my worst years as well were between 14 and, and 16 as well so I guess moving on from like where you were there how did you then start to sort of come out the other side if if we put it that way yeah so it was obviously as as recovery is it was a uh, I always call it a long arduous journey um it had a lot of twists and turns so between the ages of 14 I got um when I was 14 I my mom first took me to the doctors I was taken to the doctors when I was a young girl for being overweight dietitian meal plan etc then I was taken to the doctors at 14 because I'd lost my periods and I was a bit concerned and my mum was a bit worried about me but because I was in a healthy weight range turned away told to eat more and that was you know I knew then I need I lacked validity you know the validity part of I didn't feel valid in my struggles and I didn't actually know I had an eating disorder that's the ironic thing is I, I there was something wrong I knew that there was something wrong but I didn't feel like they were taking me seriously so you know put two and two together that's what triggered like a severe kind of dip and then in the next five months I was actually admitted into general hospital so I was in general hospital for a month now bearing in mind I was in a children's ward it was kids with broken legs mumps measles they didn't know why I was there they didn't know how to help me and it actually this was during the time of my GCSEs I did my GCSEs in in hospital I would go home and it was quite funny really they made a seating plan for my bedroom because they had to for like the you know the off qual um exam board it was like this is the room this is her desk this is a supervisor and I was able to do it because of the way my school worked they just could make these allowances for me so miraculously got through my GCSEs obviously was very very poorly at that point but I was, I, you know, I was with CAMS at that point and uh, my psychologist at the time said, you know, this is your last chance, otherwise you're going into an inpatient unit. And I, it scared me. And I probably, well, at that point, I just existed at a not very healthy weight at all, but I ate enough to survive and go to college, but it just wasn't uh, feasible. More stress came onto me that Christmas. So I must at that point be 15, 16, I think 16 at that point and no 15 I don't know what age I was there was a uh, I was at around college time I then for the first year of college went into an inpatient unit for just under a year because it all got too much and that saved my life but I knew it wasn't right for me to stay there um I ended up getting discharged which was a very positive mood I was always a very communicative I was always very on board I understood what was going on I understood the competitive nature of it I said you know logically and theoretically here is not the right place for me anymore Mm. and I needed to go into the community and so after I came out of inpatient you know I'd regained my weight I was in a better mental place and my recovery continued um up until about 17 18 and then I lived in quite a quasi recovery state until about 20 where the big turning point for me was living on my own so to my parents surprise there's a lot of different things I actually ended up going to work for Nestle a food company in York why I live in York now and I was like no I'm living on my own had a full-time job it was a degree apprenticeship so I was doing a degree living on my own and I was like yeah I'm gonna do it and then I didn't like Nestle it wasn't I was 
not doing not doing enough living that's what I realized went solo traveling for a year and I'd say that that was the most you know I think all of those things together was what concluded my recovery that being said you know like what we are five years on um I've only come into my work practice in the last year more for the fact that I'm I was very self-aware I didn't want to be working in a field if I wasn't in a good mental place and I was struggling with an eating disorder because who was I kidding and it would everything from my clients would just trigger me so Mm -hmm. that's why I waited so long to go and work in the field I didn't plan it at all um but I would say that over that five years slowly slowly that would when I'd be seeing myself as recovered and it wasn't a wake up one morning and go I'm fixed because that's not how it works. But over time, especially when I would go to events or holidays when I'd be free, I'll be like, oh, actually, maybe Mm. this, maybe this is, maybe this is recovery. And, you know, I am also very self aware with things that come up, you know, just because, you know, you can class yourself as recovered doesn't mean that you can't ever develop symptoms of an eating disorder again. You know, I'd be wrong to say that. It's like saying to a recovered alcoholic, you know, passing them a bottle of wine. They would need to be very perceptive of their own trigger points and go, you know what? No, that's okay. So I'll give you an example from my recent trip to India. So me and my partner went to India and I got really poorly and I was unable to eat um, very well for that time. And that was when I was like, hold on, basically I'm going to actually eat over and above probably what my body needed. But I knew my susceptibility towards the effect of restriction on my mental state. And I was like, I'm not, I'm, it's just not, I'm not risking it. So it's more about my perception of myself is I am aware of what potentially could trigger, you know, prior behaviors. So I will do anything to avoid that. Mm. So that, that's what I would, I know that again is a very long winded Mm -hmm. thing, but um, yeah that's where my journey went. I think that sounds like a really healthy place to be. And I'm so glad that you said, you know, just because I'm recovered doesn't mean that I never have like a disordered thought. Because I think that people have this idea that if you are recovered, you never, you never have a thought about, you know, potentially engaging in an eating disorder ever again. And the, you know, maybe the rose tinted glasses or what have you, but actually being able to recognize when that comes up and then be like okay I'm gonna do something that right now that means I'm definitely not gonna engage in this behavior that just shows how much you you aren't wanting to return to the eating disorder because I think it would be very easy in that instant to think hmm here's a potential great yeah yeah Yeah. and and then you know not maybe have that awareness um but one thing I wanted to ask you is and I'd hope that this doesn't sound offensive, but I just, for me personally, I find it intriguing. So you're obviously now working with clients with eating disorders. And so eating disorders are still a big part of your life. Mm. So do you ever wonder like, oh, am I doing this coaching stuff in order to keep the eating disorder alive, but I just don't have an eating disorder? I find that it's a really uh, perceptive comment. So I have two jobs. One of them um, is so far away from eating disorders. And a lot of people say, well, why don't you do your coaching full time? There's a reason that I don't do my coaching full time because I like not being surrounded by things to do with eating disorders. So, you know, there is a there is a part of me that goes, you know, sometimes 
I just can't be asked talking about eating disorders because it just, I just can't. And, I, you know, to, to everyone listening, I'm sorry, sometimes when I post on Instagram, I just can't be bothered because actually my life is not that anymore. But because I have lived through it and because I care so much about other people living a life without it, mm-hmm. I do what I do. But again, I do keep two feet in the real world yeah. at all times. So my my week is made up of three days of my other uh, job. I work in social media for an app. And then I do three days on my own business, which is my coaching. And again, that requires a lot of mental juggling and a lot of um, planning and organization of my life, which again, using my personality traits for good. Um, but I do it because it is incredibly important for me to have banter with my colleagues to talk about things that are completely ridiculous but completely normal and real and 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 not just be surrounded by eating disorders at all times so again you know I didn't work in eating disorders um for so many years I wasn't planning it I actually just trained as a counselor I was like I'm just gonna be a general a general counselor and I well this is a little little caveat and all of this so I did a I did a TEDx talk a little, a little, about a year ago now. So I used to be a fashion influencer. That used to be my job. Uh, whilst I was at Nestle, it was like my little side hobby. And then I managed to quit and go full time. But that was feeding the validation part of me. You know, it was like, oh, people like the way I look. People like, and again, social media is part of that. I'm not unique in that, but it, I knew it wasn't helpful for me. So I actually quit being an influencer. And I was like, okay, well, what can I do? to improve people's lives but use social media it's what I it's like my bread and butter I you know I work in it but I know we don't use it for good enough so I was like okay well I'm going to start posting about awareness things things that actually mean something and I saw a gap in the market really I was like okay there's a lot of people getting triggered by social media during COVID for development of an eating disorder what can I do to counteract that And that was where I started. I just started posting awareness stuff, you know, like I do now, more around education with no, no knowledge that that would actually turn into something more. And a lot of people were saying, well, you know, you're trained as a counsellor and you've done coaching certifications. Why don't you do it? And I'm like, oh, maybe I can. But at that time I was working. I only went, I was working, I've been working part time for only two months. I've been working full time up until two months ago which not a lot of people know Mm -hmm. um more for the fact that nobody nobody needed to know Mm -hmm. that because it was my my world it was my life but there was a point where I was like actually I need to put my health first yeah and go part-time with um my the my full-time company and you know have a balance but you know just my dad today over a cup of tea and a a piece of cake we were like you know are you gonna when are you gonna quit you know, quit your full time. I'm, like, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I want always want one foot in in something else. So that, I hope that answers your question. It does, and the reason why I've been like giggling and laughing. I hope you don't think that I'm laughing at what you're saying along the way. Is because I have just started a job in social media, d- like doing um, their social media and brand awareness for an app, 
um, because I was working in eating disorders and doing full of beans and was like, it's too much eating disorders. Like I can't, I can't do it. And so was like, well, this allows me to keep doing full of beans, but use the experience that I've gained from doing full of beans in my new role. Um, and not, I don't have any qualifications or anything in it, but because I've developed full of beans, they were really happy. Um, and so many people have said to me, when are you going to go full time with full of beans? Like, when's that going to be your thing? And I'm like, it's not because I can't just have my life revolve around eating disorders. It's not my identity anymore. And that yeah. was the change. So yeah. I am not, I used to be Keandra with an eating disorder. I'm Keandra who's recovered from an eating disorder, who's passionate about helping others. Mm-hmm. And I am so, like, I used to hide my eating so I, I felt so much shame around it and but at the same time I found it like oh I'm the unique one this is something I'm good at mm. you know it was my identity but actually when I you know went to work that was a big turning point and when I went traveling I was like oh my god life is life's mm. great you know and don't get me wrong life can sometimes be crap and that's just life but it's not who I am anymore um but it doesn't mean that I don't want other people to hopefully get to a place where they are living life much more to the full which is possible you know yeah. but a lot of people and I understand that because I didn't see that you know you don't see the wood for the trees when you're in the midst of it it's like well this is it forever mm-hmm. and that's I'm passionate about what I do but also mm-hmm. passionate about my life mm-hmm Absolutely. And I think that's the balance, isn't it? It's it's rediscovering who you are without the mm-hmm. eating disorder because it can take over so much. So I guess on that note, you were talking earlier about how you got a lot of validation from having the eating disorder and a lot of kind of that need for validation came from the bullying that you had experienced. How did you go about like building or like stepping away from needing validation from others so that you didn't kind of need that eating disorder anymore? it's a really hard one because I don't think it was one thing for me I mean I had probably thousands of hours of therapy Mm -hmm. you know uh different things I didn't engage in therapy for a long time more for the fact that probably I was quite malnourished and didn't know what was going on um and that was the cams time um which you know if you are a US listener or in another place in the world it's um the the like under 16s care mental health care so you know they were giving me therapy like it was you know going out of fashion but I just was like nah this is not for me and you know it's hard because I was in some not very nice relationships growing up um which again I link to not feeling good about myself so being able to take ill behavior because I was like well this is all I deserve Mm -hmm. and I it came from actually probably you know uh, there was a point where I'd got out of my worst relationship that I'd been in and I went through a period of, of counseling and that counselor literally changed, changed my outlook on life. And it wasn't for an eating disorder. It was for other things. It was for, it was for trauma and it was actually for rebuilding a relationship with my dad as well. Um, and through, through all of that and through understanding why everything had happened, I started to try and externalize validation. I know it sounds bizarre and I don't think I'm wording it the right way. Instead of focusing on what others thought of me, I focused on the energy I gave out in a in a more of a positive way. It's like, well, and this was before the time that I did um, 
my my coaching and my awareness page it was more that's why I started training as being a counselor it's like what can I do I have all this love that's not been I suppose received at, at some point and this is also when I met my partner so we've been together just over four years yeah I don't even I'm really bad with dates um but he he helped me show show me what real love was and love wasn't conditional and I know that's if he's listening he's going to be like that's so cringy but it's true he helped me <laughs> he helped me realize that my the love that I gave out was not it didn't have conditions around it that I didn't need others to tell me that I was great that I could say and it's okay to say the positive qualities about myself I remember in the start of the you know counseling sessions um with with my counselor she was like tell me five things you like about yourself and I couldn't do it and I just it was the hardest thing in the world it felt like somebody had I was like well this big headed there's nothing great about me but now if somebody says that I'd be like yeah I'll fire. I've got more than five <laughs> how, long and have it's, you got? <laughs> how long have you got and it's not a big headed thing I've realized that now because obviously I'm a human there's things about me that I know are not necessarily my most positive qualities However, I can celebrate my positive qualities. And it was about going through the process of understanding that what's happened to me in my life isn't right. Not accepting that as, you know, just normal behavior. I accepted everything that happened to me. It's just, well, that's what, that's what life is. That's what I deserve. But I didn't, but I, it was a process. So it's not one thing again, but it was more around building up, building up my self-confidence, my, you know, and, and, I know I have weak spots now. I do care about what others think of me. Mm. You know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be lying to say that I didn't. You know, I am a creature of comparison, but I know how to separate myself as much as that as possible. So I use social media as a tool. I don't consume social media. Mm. So um, that's my choice. I have a personal Instagram, but it's more from posting holiday pics, etc. But I'm not a consumer of social media for a, for a reason. Mm, yeah. I think it's really interesting what you were saying about like rather than internalizing what people think about you like thinking about the external energy that you give off and it's mm. it's something that I've been really trying to think about recently and that if if you're so worried about oh you know if I engage in recovery what are people going to think of me like are they going to you know all of these thoughts it's actually an eating disorder takes you so far away from the person that you are and you know some people you may have met along the duration of when you've had your eating disorder but a lot of people will have known you before that and mm. the reason that they like you is not because you have an eating disorder it's because of all these other qualities that you have and I've found that because of the eating disorder and the restriction and things like that it takes me away from the real Han, you know, the the bubbly, kind of outgoing, very friendly, very caring person. When I'm really engaged in eating disorder, I, I you know, I go into myself and I'm not very mm -hmm. sociable and I don't really care about anybody else. So even if for the start, you know, you you can't think, okay, I I can't quite get rid of the validation that I require from everybody in order to recover from my eating disorder. But maybe I could focus rather than thinking about what people potentially will think of me if I don't recover, um, if I recover, sorry, what about if you don't recover? Um, and I had a really interesting conversation with a friend a couple of months back and she was she wasn't saying anything like this is what I think about you, but she was really challenging what I was thinking. And I was saying, you know, 
people think highly of me because I've lost weight and she was like but what if what if people don't think highly of you and they actually kind of like thinking that you know you look ill now and that you don't have an admirable physique because I was like you know everybody wants to kind of have my physique because it's it's so good now because I've lost weight and then I was also saying about how um you know everybody thinks I'm so strong because I'm able to continue with the eating disorder and I'm able to fight back and she was like but what if everybody thinks that you're weak because you you can't you can't recover and it was just that shift of Mm. mindset in terms of like rather than thinking you know what will people think of me if I recover it's kind of you know what are you going to continue being if you don't recover Mm. and obviously you know in the future I would then like to think well I don't give a crap about what other people think like I'm doing this for me but I think when you're in an eating disorder you know from my perspective the person that I don't like the most is myself so if I can do this for Mm. other people to start with then Mm. that is like a really good stepping stone a thousand percent I always say to my clients who are the motivations for recovery and oftentimes they're external and I think that's all well and good and externalizing motivation is great but there has got to be part of it where you're doing it for yourself Mm -hmm. there's got to be one part of you you know I always think you know thinking about yourself like little Han is Mm -hmm. like there's got to be a part of you that's like yeah this is why I'm doing it because if it's completely external, there's not enough to grasp hold of. And if they mm-hmm. do you, if you're doing it for a partner or a parent, it's like, well, if they're not there, well, then there's no point in doing it. Yeah. And yeah. that was a big shift for me. And that's why I lived on my own. That's why I solo traveled because no one was there. It was a point where everyone had told me what to do. I would only eat if somebody told me to eat. Well, no, now, you know, I, 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 I have my autonomy. I buy my food shop. I make my, my food I will happily sit there on my own and eat a full tub of ice cream because I want to mm-hmm. you know and it's nobody needs to tell me nobody needs to give me permission but that is a it's a process and mm-hmm. it's not saying that it's no part of me is like well why can't anyone else do it because it takes time but it also takes you know I always think pull put your big girl pants on or whoever's pants on pull them up high and just do it yeah. jump um jump off the diving board I know a lot of the time my mum said you just just jump off the diving board yeah I've got this um uh rock it's like it's like cylindrical I don't know it's it's a nice shape it's a nice shape rock (laughs) and it has um the reason I picked it up is it has a picture of a diving board it looks like a diving Mm -hmm. board and any times I'm ever stressed or anxious about anything in life it's like I don't want to do this this is scary I will hold on to that and think jump off the diving board because there's got to be the you're jumping into the unknown you are because you don't actually know what's going to happen, but it's trusting that what's going to happen is going to be better than what you're experiencing right now. Yeah. And, I th- and I think another thing that reminded me when you said about shifting your perspective is actually, you know, oftentimes people say, well, I'm failing if I'm recovering. I'm failing at the eating disorder. Well, actually, what if you're actually achieving something so magical, you're achieving recovery? That's a lot of, a lot of times harder than staying with the eating disorder Absolutely. because the comforting you know thing it's not saying you know it's picking your heart it's like do you want to you know have a life where you're cold miserable um you know x y and z living with an eating disorder that's hard but actually do you want to pick the hard which might be gaining weight if that's part of your journey eating new foods growing out of clothes and not engaging in eating disorder behaviors that's hard but most probably 
I can't give you 100% because I, you know, I'm not a fortune teller, but majority of the time that reaps better rewards. So you are the only one who can pick your heart. Yeah. So, yeah. I think as well with that, it's like, okay, staying in the eating disorder is long-term hard. Like that's going to be, and and maybe Mm -hmm. like if we said about levels, it's like that's 50% hard for the rest of your life. If you want that, then cool. Recovery is probably 90% hard for, let's say, 5% of the time who knows because who knows how old you are and how long you're going to live for and stuff Mm. but in in (laughs) relative terms Mm -hmm. it's short-term hard short-term very 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 hard for recovery with you know life on the other side of who knows what that could hold and versus long-term and your life is literally going to be like this forever so you know this but you also know that it's pretty shit and I always say and Sometimes now I'm like, well, I can't say that because I did relapse and I did come back to the eating disorder. But worst case scenario, and I still say this to myself now, worst case scenario, you can do this. You can do recovery. And if it feels as horrific as you think it's going to feel, you can just come back. Go backwards. I always say that to people. It's not, you know, it's not, you don't start recovering and think, well, no, that's it. You're done for. You can never go back to the eating disorder. Chances are, you know, you will realise that life is a lot better without the eating disorder and hopefully you won't want to go back. But you're also not a failure if you do go back. You know, for yourself, you said you you, you relapse, that's okay, but it's what you do from, you know, it's always what you do from now at this point. And I think as well, from my reflections of why I've relapsed, is I didn't reach a position in my recovery where I was robust enough to not, need the eating disorder mm-hmm. and I was going along thinking that I had got everything figured out and I was robust enough and actually this is a sign of okay things weren't quite you know where they needed to be and maybe it was a good realization to be like okay my life is still pretty restricted but I'm just pretending that I'm fine whereas now going forward I hope that I can reach a point where I'm fully you know I have all the skills that I need in order to like you were saying earlier you know be able to say I actually don't need the eating disorder and I can mm. do this on my own um so I, I, I think felt, you know you also might feel emotions like so when I was poorly in India I, I cried because I was like I don't want to I didn't mm. want to lose weight because I was like yeah. I, I like you know I like the fact that I have some some you know like pattern in the right areas I like mm. it I, I didn't want that I didn't want that because I I was like you know, this is part of me now. I, I have mm-hmm. so much energy and actually it was a real minor, major inconvenience. So I was like, this is yeah. not great. But I never, ever thought that I'd see weight loss as an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something you know? that made you so upset you didn't want so it. So upset. And that's why mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to do everything, even though that it was everything was coming out of every orifice, not to go into too much detail, deli belly hit hard. But, <laughs> you know... I was like, I'm going to do everything to defy this. So use every trick in the book, things like milkshakes, you know, but I was just like, you know what, bam, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this, yeah. but actually to get to that place, I, I looked back on that and thought, wow, this was a really good sign for me mm-hmm. to show that actually I can get through, you know, anything, anything. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, but Absolutely. it took time, it takes time to get to that place. And, and unfortunately for a lot of people, it, doesn't happen we always have to be real with recovery rates but it is possible for everyone you know you if you if you want it and and you know you have 
the insight in yourself. It's not necessarily always about your accessibility to treatment. Obviously, it helps, but it's about your willingness to try and look inward mm. as well and yeah. and be brave. Yeah. And sometimes that takes time and mm. and sometimes you do just have to sit and think, okay, one day I'll be ready and that's not today, but but it it will hopefully eventually come. Definitely. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Um I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I'm so glad that we spoke about the sibling thing at the start. So I think yeah. that was really, really interesting. So where can people find you to learn more about you and the um yeah, the services that you provide. Amazing. So thank you so much, Hannah. I, th- I found this conversation absolutely fascinating. So mm-hmm. I, you know, the information you share is beyond um, insightful and useful. And so thank you for what you do um, and where you can find me. So I am at Flourish with Keandra on Instagram um, and TikTok. Um, so Instagram is where I'm most active. I share a lot of informational posts. Um, and then I my website is flourishwithkeandra.com. Um, I'm sure you'll leave um, the links in the show notes Absolutely. because my name, I'm blessed with a very um, hard to pronounce and spell <laughs> name. So, um, you know, it will be there so you can search that up. Amazing. Um, regarding services i am an eating disorder recovery coach at the moment my um i have a wait list for individual coaching however i am be starting group coaching in the next couple of months so it would mean that um i can see a lot more people at a more affordable rate because we know i try and make my um coaching as affordable as possible within the space it's very important for me to do so um i can't offer it for free because it's my time and it's my half my income however I know the importance of accessibility to treatment. So keep your eyes peeled for that if you want to follow along for more information. But yeah, Thanks. thank you again. No, thank you. I'm very much looking forward to doing the podcast swap. Enjoying yes. you. So <laughs> I do have a podcast as well. I didn't want to plug myself in yours. Oh, no, but absolutely. You, <laughs> you will. Yeah. So I have my own podcast and it's Recover to Flourish. And uh, Han will be a guest there. So that will be in the next couple of weeks. I know it's been hard to get dates and times with yeah. life. <laughs> But we will when get we're both there. working multiple jobs and doing everything yeah. else as well, and being um, boss ass women, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you yeah, so amazing. much. No worries. Take care. Bye. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.